0: Hi, and welcome to Simple Interrupted, a podcast about radical veterinary change. I'm really excited to have both of our guests on today as we dive into the topic of toxic employees. You'll hear from Alyssa Mages, who has 18 years of experience in the veterinary field and a lifetime of thinking outside of the box, as well as Chief Medical and Wellbeing Officer and the 2021 FVMA Veterinarian of the Year, Dr. Phil Richmond. He's a published writer and speaker who's passionate about what he does. Let's hear more from our guests. Welcome, Alyssa and Dr. Richmond, to the podcast. I'm really excited to have both of you on today to chat a little bit more about toxic employees and whether they're the symptom or the cause of our toxic cultures. Um, why don't you both introduce yourselves and let us know a little bit about what you've been up to in our industry lately?
1: Uh, sure. Hi, Mary. It's great to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. And I get to hang out with Phil again, which makes me super happy. Um, I am a CVT. I've been in vet med since 2004, uh, credentialed in 2012. So I did, did a little backwards, got my bachelor's and then my associates. And I'm really glad I did it that way. So I've kind of, not kind of, I've dabbled in pretty much every in you know aspect of the industry that we can. Academia, research, uh, large animal, small animal, exotics, all the fun stuff. Um, but might, my heart started in marine biology. So I'm desperately trying to get back to an ocean at some point. But in the meantime, I've been hanging out in the the educational and leading uh, learning and development space with empowering veterinary teams. We launched three years ago on uh, Sunday. So it's exciting. We're coming up on an anniversary. So,
0: well, happy anniversary. That's really Thank exciting. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much. So it's it's an exciting time to be in vet med. I know that there's a lot of stuff that we're going to be talking about today, and things that that need our attention and our love and our energy. But I'm full of hope. Absolutely. And I'm really excited to see where we're going.
0: I couldn't agree more.
2: I'm Phil Richmond. I'm a veterinarian, and uh, one of my claims to fame is that I'm friends with Alyssa. So. Oh my god.
1: (laughs) Uh, no. <laughs> That's my claim to fame is I know this guy.
2: <laughs> and so similar similar time. so I've been in vet, vet med for a while, but I, I graduated in 06. You know, really how I got into this space was that I I spiraled downward severely in, uh, in 2008 and almost wasn't here. And so I exhibited a lot of the behaviors um, as well that we're going to talk about today. And so I know what it's like to be the person on the other side and also have some lived experience on where some of that behavior comes from That that's helpful. And I, I too, I'm just grateful to be a part of, of veterinary medicine. I'm the chief medical and well-being officer for the group Veterinary United. Uh, I'm very grateful to be the ch- chair of the Veterinary Well-Being Committee for the Florida Veterinary Medical Association. And I get to do a heck of a lot of stuff um, in well-being in vet med and meet with a lot of great people and moving the profession forward. And I'm I'm just grateful to be here. So thanks for having us, Mary.
0: Of course, of course. It's great to have both of you on and and see the the difference that you're making in our industry every day. I think that definitely having some professionals that end up taking a step back from clinic but still pushing our industry forward is the way that we are going to continue to improve as a whole. So excited to hear both of your thoughts today. Let's dive right in. What do you guys think is the difference between a toxic employee or someone who maybe, I don't want to say lost cause because, of course, that's not the kind of direction you want to go. But someone who maybe isn't going to be willing to turn around their attitude over someone who is still present and able to receive feedback and turn around their attitude.
1: Really, at the root of it is you have to figure out what's going on. With this individual, you know, are they in pain, and in what way? You know, I mean, all of us that have been doing this for longer than a month, our knees and our backs are not in the greatest shape. So, are they in chronic pain? Are they dealing with something that we can't see and that we don't know what their lived experience is outside of the practice? So, I think it's to have to be an, you know, to be empathic. And and start there from a place of empathy and saying, all right, let's see where this is going and and to have those conversations where it's, it's not, you're doing this wrong and this is not acceptable. It's what's going on and how can we figure this out? together. And that's not easy. It's not a comfortable conversation to have. It's not something to start in the middle of the treatment room floor, right? You know, at blank hits the fan o'clock, right? Uh, But it's definitely something that needs to be addressed one-on-one. And then let's look at where you're at. You know, you started with us at X amount of time. This is where your skills have come or not what is your passion do you have it anymore why is it gone you know and really see if you can figure out where they're coming from where they're at and what they're invested in in moving forward and then if there isn't that sign of they they want to talk or they want to move forward then that's a different conversation but i think you need to start at underst- you know getting to to the the center of where they are and what you can do together with them
2: yeah absolutely and what i would say is you know, when we see people, I, I think we we use that term toxic, but you know what's the what's the actual language? What is what's the behavior that we mm-hmm. see that, mm-hmm. that people exhibit doing that? And is it are they are there demoralizing comments? You know, are is this person somewhat of a saboteur? Uh, you know, are we having are we having team meetings and then you know after the team meeting instead of entering into healthy discussion about whatever topic is being brought up? You know they're they're lobbying secretly, you know, and saying, "Oh, well, that's mm-hmm. a stupid idea. We're never going to do that," or you know, what have you. And this is different than bring than confrontation because healthy mm-hmm. confrontation is okay. What I would say is, as leaders, we also have to be able to accept that and have healthy discussion. Um, but going back to the uh, going back to the behavior, is is it is it corrupting the culture? You know, is this, is this person bringing down, uh, you know, people around us? And again, to Alyssa's point, is knowing that if we can ask the question instead of saying, what's wrong with you, what's happening with you, that oftentimes can change the, the way that we perceive the, the feedback discussions. And we may or may not be able to move forward from that spot.
0: Yeah. And both of you have been in clinic in situations where either you haven't shown up as your best self every day to work or you've seen people around you not doing that. On your worst day... What would have actually helped you be open to having this discussion with a manager? Because this is, like like you said, Alyssa, this is a really vulnerable discussion to have. And it can also be really hard to say something to the effect of, you know, hey, it's not work-related, it's personal, I'm really struggling. Because that's, again, a really intimate conversation to have. So what? how do you think a manager could maybe open up the conversation or open the door in a way that the uh, person doesn't feel attacked or feel like, they're in trouble or anything like that.
1: Mm, that's, you know, I think, Mary, that's, you know, going back to Phil's comment too about the overall team culture, like, what is your foundations on communication? Like, how often are you talking with your team? Is it like, do they get that like, oh God, I'm going to the principal's office when you ask to meet with them? Because, I mean, that was my gut response with a lot of my, my <sighs> managers of like, oh, what did I do? Nothing. I just want to talk to you. I'm like, but I, I have that sense of foreboding mm-hmm. and I'm already on the defense.
0: Um, or worse so, yet, the, you know, right? can I talk to you later conversation? And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. And it no. wrecks your whole day. Oh, yeah, your whole day <laughs> you is know,
1: done. You're like, I'm done. Like, <laughs> oh. Um, so I mean that's gotta be established first and foremost, is it it can't be the dreaded annual review, right? You need to meet with your people, even if it's for five to ten minutes, just checking in, like, how's it going? Where are you at with today? Like, how are things? Like, know them. Know if they have kids or not. Know if they have elderly family members or other family members that they're taking care of. Do they have chronic health concerns? Do they they love music? You know, are they a foodie? Are they obsessed with horror movies all the time, not just at Halloween, right? Like, what makes them tick? And then you can, when you get to that kind of, And that's the tricky part, right? To your point is these are intimate conversations and you have to have that line as a manager. I I was never an official manager. I was like in a middle leadership position, but you're not their friend. You can't be Mm -hmm. to have that. I mean, that's not fair. You can have a sense of camaraderie, but it's not like you have to have that balance of professionalism, right? Even though you bring your personal and professional, they're all same letters, um, so you have to walk that line of, I'm here for you, but we need to have those boundaries in place to, for both our sakes, right? Because you don't want to feel like you're invading their personal space. So you got to establish that and then really just make it as a casual, like, hey, I've been going through some stuff. How are you doing? You know, like this past week here in, in the Northeast, it's been pouring down rain, right? It's been six days of gray and wet. I'm miserable. How are you doing? You know, and and start it with like a neutral place and establish that. And then then you can get into the things. And like, you know, I've been noticing this around, what's your sense of this? You know, ask for their input and then take it. You know, that's the other part of it too, is you can ask the questions, but you need to be willing and able to hear the answers and actively listen to them. Don't plan your response for, you know, you can prepare for that conversation, but you don't want to go into it, you know, as soon as they respond, you're moving on to the next question, right? It's a, you know... Phil works with us wonderfully with active and reflective listening, and it's something that we all need to practice. So I would say you have to first establish that um, that precedence of having these conversations, and then ease into them instead of slamming into the issue at hand. Yeah, Rome and
0: relationships aren't built in one day.
1: <laughs> Correct,
2: hundred percent. So to follow up on that, Mary is it's so much is that when you know when X happens, what environment do we have to address that situation? And if we haven't done that months or years in advance, it's just, it again, it speaks to the culture. And it's also, who are we bringing on to be part of the team? What does our onboarding process look like? Are we not consciously accepting of these little comments that are said, or, oh man, that client, you know, they're out there driving a jag and I, I you know they, I don't understand why they can't pay for their dog or just, you know, comments that are said, are we as a team already accepting those during the onboarding process? Or are we saying, you know, when little little things happen when not even a huge red flag, but little things come up, are we doing some course correction um, with people to set the culture? Because if so, if we're doing that, then people that are in that space at that time probably aren't going to want to stay you know at that practice you know they may they may weed themselves out so it is one where you know when we talk about those behaviors you know what what brings up a you know a stressful event or what what puts us in those moods is have we set an environment where if i'm in that mood do i feel like i'm safe to say to the team I'm off today. You know, my mom called me. She's, you know, to give you, an, I, I, whenever my mom gets sick, my mom's 80, 83. Whenever she's not feeling well or she goes in the hospital, it's just something I've learned. Like that is, it's just a stress, like it's an instant stressor for me that it changes the way I am in the, you know, in the clinic that day. And can we be self-aware and can we feel comfortable sharing that with our team? So, but again, that has to be set from from day one as we, you know, as we come on uh, into the practice. So that's why it's as much the, well, I wouldn't even say it's as much the individual, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a holistic thing is that if we have a quote unquote toxic employee, we've got to, you know, if there's one, one finger pointed this way, we've got three pointed back the other way. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, And so we've got to ask ourselves, what what environment have we laid down that has allowed this to fester?
0: Yeah. And I think to your point, Phil, just to expand a little bit, is is you're going to have some employees who are comfortable sharing, my mom's in the hospital, I'm really stressed out right now. And you're also going to have some employees who are just going to say, you know, I've got something going on at home and I need to take the day off. And it needs to be okay either way. It needs to always be, you know, you have to trust your team to make that judgment call for themselves as well.
1: That's it. Trust. Mm -hmm. That's what it comes down to. And can you trust your team? And can your team trust you? Absolutely. I kind of want to go a little bit off script.
0: So I'm going to ask you guys if you guys feel comfortable with this before I do it. Um, but how how would you guys feel about talking a little bit about psychological safety in the workplace? Oh. Is this like... It was you're on fit, the tip you're of my tongue,
1: right? And I was like, oh.
2: As soon as we were saying trust... Oh, yeah. Yep. It was
0: right at the top of my head as soon as y'all started right talking. So...
2: Yeah, That's my jam.
0: Let's dive into how to create a workspace that fosters psychological safety for your employees. Take it
1: away, Phil.
2: Okay. When we talk about psychological safety, the basis of psychological safety is trust and psychological safety. So trust in that I believe that my teammates want to do the best job possible. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I also believe that if I make a mistake or if I'm in a situation that that team is then going to give me the benefit of the doubt. If I say to your point Mary, I need a day today. Got it. I'm on board that that person is making the best decision for themselves and the team and I'm not, you know, I'm not circling to the, oh they just, you know, they're lazy or they don't want to be part of the team or they're not not invested in us. That's not psychological safety, but it's very much that I feel comfortable taking risks be it you know, bringing up new ideas that I feel, you know, I could be a vu- vulnerable with this team. If a mistake happens, I feel comfortable bringing it up. Also, if I make a mistake that I'm not hit with the flamethrower in the middle of the treatment by the doctor, um, <laughs> that, that, the, you know, that, that somebody's going to say, hey, one, we're human. Two, I believe you're, you are a competent professional. And we start looking into the systems as to why that happened. Not, you, not that you are a fit, like we, we have something in this system that we can do better. Uh, and that we, we look at it from a growth mindset. To build that is, <laughs> get, you know, we, can, we can spend a significant amount, I mean, we could spend the, the whole rest of the day talking about it, which would be great. It's true. Um, but the thing is, is that it's also very fragile. So we need to have a basis of civility in the workplace. We need to be able to communicate with each other in a, in a healthy way. We need to be able to be honest with empathy. So I can, I can say something to you if, I, if there needs to be a course correction. But before I say it, I think about being in your shoes and how that's going to land. So I'm not saying, hey, I need to talk to you after work. Mm. You know, and you know, and walking on because we all know, like we're staying. You know, (laughs) even if I'm, even if I'm making the charitable assumption that it's good, it's still challenging. It still takes a lot of emotional work to to bring down my uh, my temperature gauge. But that those are two big ones: being honest with empathy and and civility in the workplace, and then having a growth mindset is huge being able to listen to other people, uh, appreciatively, not, you know, actually hearing what they're saying, where they're coming from. Um, those are, those are some of the cores of psychological safety.
1: Yeah. There's not much else I can add to that other than it allows you to be your authentic self. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when you show up authentically, real work happens. And it's also, you know, to that point we've all been there, like when we've had a, you know, we've, slammed through a 15 appointment day. Everyone was on time. We got everything entered. Everything went well. And then our last, like my last tech appointment of the day, I, I nicked the quick on a toenail. I don't remember anything else, Uh but that, that bad thing that I did. And to, to your point, Phil is to have that center of, you know, of trust and safety where it's like you fail, but they build you back up. Remember all the good that you did it's a toenail. It's fine. That's what we have quick step for. It's, it's it's fine. And it really is fine because we're our own worst critics anyway. So if we are surrounded by all of our own worst critics, that doesn't make for a fun place to be. So to allow that authenticity to shine through and to be kinder to ourselves and one another. But again, we've, we've all said it too, if there's not that structure in place, and that really is a part of it too, is you need to establish structure. And I know rules are meant to be broken, not in medicine though, guys, like there's a reason we have SOPs, right? So to have that structured approach to back to your earlier point, Phil, of onboarding and orientation all the way through a person's career path, like this is what this is in place for. And to say, Hey, it's all right. You're not at that stage yet. You're still learning. You're still developing. And you, you just started implementing these skills and to have that ability to remind one another that we are, growing. We're not in a fixed, stagnant place, right? Our mindset is open to the fact that we can grow and develop and we got to do it together.
2: Yeah. And two huge things that I would say is when we think about the importance of psychological safety, if Alyssa says something to me in treatment and I misinterpret it and we have a toxic culture, Think about the amount of time, just on average, that we've been in one of those workplaces. Think about how much time and effort in our mind is spent. Did she do this? Did, you know, man, did she do this? Was she thinking this? And then what does that do? That puts us into our threat mode, into our stress response. That stress response gets kicked in the same as us running from a tiger. It decreases our cognitive ability by about 40%. It doesn't allow us to access the thinking and rational part of our brain. The, you know, we can't be as efficient uh, and effective as we normally can be if we're in a, a positive, uplifted state. So this isn't woo-woo. You know, this is this is incredibly vital stuff. So, you know, when I hear you know talking about emotional intelligence and psychological safety and oh, that's soft skills. These are these are mission mission critical skills. I mean, yeah. these absolutely affect how patient care is delivered, how the clients perceive it. Um, Because I can say, I can go over discharge instructions for a newly diabetic patient. If I'm in a toxic environment, that may land a heck of a lot different than if I'm in a, a really positive environment that I can be there and show empathy towards that client. It allows me to tap into that emotional intelligence, where if I'm in threat mode all day, I can't access it. I can't tap into those things. And basically, I'm just saying words that come off potentially uncaring, that lands differently with that client that's potentially going to affect the way that patient is cared for. So these are real world things that we, you know, the, that are vital in in, the pra- in practice. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they're not soft. They're not human soft, skills. No. <laughs> they're right. This right. is how we this is how we human, right? So that's I use it I call them human skills because that's how we learn to be humans. Because yes, we're medical professionals, but I'm a person first. And I know we got into this industry to work with animals, but they come with people. Yeah, every animal has a person at the end of the leash. Every animal has a person and you know we work with each other. And if we don't understand the the mechanics and the psychology and the I mean think if you want to get down to it right this is this is science. Psychology is a science. So and it, it's not like toxic positivity. That's another one of fills in my trigger words like oh good vibes only like, don't you dare. <laughs> That's not what this is. This is you know it's again it's making sure that this is a safe learning environment where growth and, de- and development and honesty and authenticity are encouraged. It's not, it's not woo woo. It's the what, what. This is how we do it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't work otherwise. That's the thing that changes, you know, many clinics'
0: reputations from being a toxic workplace to actually being a place that's a unicorn clinic versus, you know, I come here, I'm either toxically positive or everyone is angry all the time. And that's really kind of the two ends of the spectrum that we see by and large right now, but it doesn't have to be that way. We're already in an industry that takes so much from us psychologically in terms of what it takes to care for pets and Pet parents, we shouldn't continue stealing it from one another as well.
1: That is beautifully said, and that's so true.
0: Well, I've definitely been there. I've been the one screamed at in treatment by the doctor for a minor mistake. I've, you know, been the one trying to hold an employee's hand through another employee, snapping at them, and then them spending the entire day sweating about it, right? Did they mean to do that to me? You know, Mm. and it taints their interactions throughout the day. It's hard to calculate a drug dosage when all you're thinking is, you know, Sam over there yelled at me earlier, and now he's over there on the other side of the room staring at me. and, And do they hate me? do they not want to work with me? But you still have to do your job. And our jobs are complex
1: and intricate. Yeah. I mean, there's very few professions where you have to constantly be physically, mentally, and emotionally ready to go. And it's so easy to tap us out. And it's, I mean, we all went through high school once. I don't really particularly feel like doing that. (laughs) Thank you very much.
0: I'm pretty convinced that none of us ever really grew up past high school. We just keep trying to be better. Yeah.
1: You know there are studies on that, right? Like the the emotional development of of humans sometimes gets stuck at 12 to 15. Yeah. Oof, it's a little bit younger than I was hoping for, but
0: I could see <laughs> I it. <know. laughs> I could definitely see it. So, what do you guys see as some signs that maybe your practice is trending in the wrong direction? What are some symptoms that are creating these? employees who maybe have these behaviors that are, again, a symptom of the overall picture.
2: So if I can step in, just because this this was one thing that we subjectively saw in our practice. So the practice that I was in, we were incredibly intentional about setting up a, an environment of psychological safety. And this paid off in dividends. I mean, we we said in 2019 before, I mean, this was before, you know, in the before times, you know, before covid <laughs> <laughs> you know we would come to work to get away from the world. Like I didn't say our staff said that. Like we loved we loved working together. We are human, though. And what we noticed is that our level of gossip, our level of talking about clients or talking about one another would tick up a couple notches where it was it was very, very minimal if if present at all. and that was that was the sign, Hey, something's going on here. And we would look where we saw it was, was during COVID. And it was external. You know, it was that we could talk to one another in a safe, safe place, but we were just getting stressed out, you know, and, and again, we weren't able to, to access the, the rational, empathetic part of our brains because of the, the external stress and the caseload. So I would say is those, those things, and I mean, we all we all know what it is, but it's sabotaging it's interfering with teamwork and collaboration you know it's it's the corruption and it's not always necessarily overt but it's you know just saying things under our breath or you know again it's the the typical you know something said in a meeting and oh yeah that's great and then after well i'm not doing that crap you know that's the stupidest idea i've ever heard you know those those types of types of things yeah
1: yeah no I think that that you spoke to it beautifully that's it's really when you start to hear like th- the rumblings and then what I've also noticed is when the loud people are quiet like I am I am not a shy person uh so if I am shut down and that's people would know that immediately if I didn't walk in and say good morning how are you doing if I just walked in and just went to work everyone's like oh crap, what happened? You know? Um, But to really be aware of that and start, you know, looking at who went quiet, who's getting loud, you know, what's happening. And you can feel it, right? Phil, we can all, you can feel it when you walk in and you're like, so I could cut this with a 10 blade today. Um, What's, what's going on? (laughs) And it, it really depends on, to your point, Phil, like COVID really amped it up a notch. And as awful as that was, I'm not trying to to paint that in a shiny light. But it helped us honestly see all of the things that really were there all along. This was just you know that proverbial straw that was like, oh, so we really need to deal with all of this other stuff because if we have this big stressor, it's really it can break you, right? So looking at your teammates and you know, having that conscious term, a teammate, you know, doesn't have to be athletically involved for all of us that aren't. But really, um, you're more than co-workers in veterinary medicine. Sorry, it's a contact arena. And I do shy away from the family, um, saying it's a work family. Sometimes you work with your relatives, that's entirely different. But because that term isn't the same for everybody, you know, family isn't always warm and fuzzy, for everyone. So it's something that you don't want to force that, right? So it's it's like look at your team and you know call them that, like treat them that way and it goes back to tre- you know treat others the way you want to yeah. be treated but um and way actually no, the way they want to be mm-hmm. treated. Yep. That's it's different. Um, and and just be conscious. It's having that consciousness. Um, but yeah, the signs of the rumbling, the the change in demeanor, the obvious tension, and then when people just start leaving, you know, it's it's happening. It's not a quiet resignation. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's they're out. Um, and turnover has always been a thing in vet med. And why is that? Right? Why are we leaving? Well, it's a physically demanding. It's mentally challenging because it's medicine. Like, yes, Mm -hmm. I understand it's cute patients, but they are living creatures that require anesthesia and radiology and laboratory procedures equivalent, if not more so to, you know, human and um, that emotional component, because when they're cute, we don't want them to hurt. And it's a lot of, it's heavy. So we have to be really aware of that and to watch for those tells.
2: Yeah. So Mary, there was something observationally. So I, you know, I I saw this in our practice and I knew that this had happened with me, you know, as far as why, you know, why was I talked? To? Why, why could I not, why did I take feedback as a threat, you know, always? Why, why couldn't I sit and say, This person is merely trying to give me information to make me better? But I would take it as a threat and build resentment and these types of things. And before I get into this, let me say one, I am not a mental health professional nor am I a, an HR professional. However, I got very curious about a study that was done about ACEs about adverse childhood experiences and you know when our brains are forming the things that we go through and you know and how it changes us. And we had one of our technicians get some feedback, and this was in a very psychologically safe environment. And I noticed how she responded to the, to the feedback. And she responded very much the way that I used to. And so because we had this level of vulnerability and we could talk in our practice, I told her about ACEs and these adverse childhood experiences that happen to us and how it affects us, which people that have four or more of these ACEs, uh, if you, if you go, up, go and look this up, have two and a half times more absenteeism at work. It's like four times more likely to have trouble, you know, at work. So this is something that we don't talk about when we talk about quote unquote toxic employees. And so this is also, you know, having that instead of saying what's wrong with you, what happened to you, or what's happening with you. And when we ended up uh, having this discussion, I asked her if she would take this ACES test. And there's 10, 10 of these questions or 10 of these experiences. Have you ever been physically abused? Have you ever been verbally abused? Did you have a parent that had a substance use disorder? Um, Did you ever see violence in your home? Those types of things. We ended up asking our entire medical team, if you have four or more of these, that's when you're seven to 10 times more likely to have an alcohol or substance use disorder. You're seven to 10 times more likely to have depression or anxiety, ADHD, all of these things. And we found that in our team, our average score was six, six out of 10. And I have six out of 10. And it the reason why is it changed the way that we gave feedback to one another. We became much more empathetic about where we're at. And I was just on a, a podcast with a, a trauma specialist and we were talking about it in veterinary medicine. And there's been one study that was done by Dr. Brandt, um, Dr. Strand and some other medical or uh, mental health professionals in vet med. I'm so curious to know if we could ask all of these you know, quote unquote, toxic employees, you know, if they could take this ACEs test, which again, no HR professional would ever say that you could, you know, you could do that. (laughs) And that's where the fear comes in is that we can't, we potentially Mm -hmm. can have some of these discussions, not directly, but can we put this awareness out? you know, when we onboard, can we say these things about mental health? You know, do we have a mental health policy? Can we make some of this information available to leaders? And there's, in human medicine, they talk about trauma-informed care. What I'm fascinated with in veterinary medicine is trauma-informed leadership and understanding how past trauma affects us and how we perform at work. Because it's, I saw it in myself and then I saw it in our team members and I just see it you know, anecdotally when I talk to, you know, I, I'm in recovery and when I talk to other medical professionals in recovery and such. So, just p- put a pin in that, that I think that's that's an area that in the next five years is going to be a a big area for us talking about, you know, quote-unquote toxic employees as well as culture. So, you know, but indiv- on an individual level. So, I just, I remembered I wanted to say that. So, thank you.
0: <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really, really glad you shared that. I think that, um that's definitely been my experience in practice is that many folks have some sort of history of trauma or difficulty in childhood or, you know, in abusive relationships at the time of their employment, things like that. And uh, there's also a really good book called The Body Keeps the Score, which, if you, yep. Have, yep, exactly, amazing, amazing book about how we hold trauma in our bodies and already, you know, a physical, physically demanding job. And then you add the psychological. You know, traumas of our past or traumas of our present on top of that. And it just is a lot worse. So, absolutely. And a key piece of being empathetic for our teams.
1: Right. Because we, uh, what do we do when we experience trauma? We go to, we, we need comfort. Mm-hmm. Right. And what are our patients really good at giving? Right. So, it's a, a profession that attracts that because we need it. And, you know, to take it back to that trauma side, right? Like a trauma-informed approach. That's how we are trained. A lot of us, I mean, my my past 10 years of my career has been in emergency medicine and I did training on that. Like it's a trauma-informed approach to developing triaging tiers, and how we approach those conversations with our team and our clients. We've got to do that with ourselves.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Starts with a little bit of self-examination as well before you can actually help others you have to look look
1: inward and figure out where your own wounds lie as well and that's not easy and it's not comfortable um and it's one of those things where um my my business partner is like yeah it's called embrace the suck I was like "Ooh, Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's isn't that a Brene Brown thing it it, she's done it but it's also from military
2: base okay yeah so yeah Yeah. it's on my workout bag
1: it's all yeah (laughs) um and but if you think of it that way too it's like all right this sucks that doesn't mean you need you have to wallow in it but acknowledge it's there Mm -hmm. yeah you know you you can't deny like if you have a broken leg and it's hanging off and you can see the bone can't deny that because it's it's visually there this just because we can't see this doesn't mean it's not there you have to uh, admit it and it Again, it's not easy. We're not saying that it is. Yeah. But that's where it becomes, from a leadership perspective, is, you know, to your point there, Mary, to to look in the mirror. We need to be that mirror uh-huh. that people can look into without fear of, you know, recrimination or anything.
2: And we need to know. And that's a, when we talk about leadership, too, is that we put people that are technically proficient and awesome in one position and then in veterinary medicine, we put them into a leadership position and don't give them any of those skills. Yep. And that is empathetic trauma-informed leadership is is really that is the command and control is out the window. And I mean, I can I can tell you from personal experience, command and control doesn't I mean I could give you all the evidence that you know it doesn't work. <laughs> but that was that was my experience. I mean, I went down that hole and I caused a lot of lot of hurt in this practice that I love. You know, now that I was talking about, you know, 10, 10 years, 12 years ago. But we we're not given those skills. Uh-huh. And that's that's critical for us to be able to, and we do. We need to know, we need to have some self-awareness. We need to know, well, what triggers in me? You know, what's what's kicking up in me when I'm talking to this, this employee, or why am I getting so fired up? And I'm am, am I trying to reach these goals? And then that's in the back of my head. And, you know, I'm trying to and, you know, again, let me say this too. You got six out of 10, you know, uh, ACEs score, you know, it's good to know that because that may be affecting how you are trying to perform. Like, you know, is that your performance is all the, that you have to, to validate who you are as a human being. And I had to go through all of that, you know, in recovery and, and such to, to really learn what what was motivating me and what was behind it. And like, like Alyssa says, that's, you know, it's hard work going through that. But the the reward is fantastic.
1: Beyond the empathy that you have, Phil, then you have understanding. Mm-hmm. And that's another word I think that we throw around a lot. It's like, oh, I understand. But we don't. right? If I haven't lived that journey, I cannot, literally cannot understand it. But what I can do is be here for it. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think there's this Really incredible. It's a very short video uh, where Brene Brown is talking about empathy. And the animation is really cute. But it, the idea is that when someone's down in that hole, it doesn't help for you to stand at the top of the hole and say, yep, I get it. That looks bad. Just, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Yeah.
1: Right. that sucks. <laughs> right. said, it looks love, bad down there. I know that that video is amazing. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. So highly, highly recommend checking out that video. It's, again, extremely short but really impactful for how to be empathetic towards anyone in your life. But the, the moral of the story is just sit with them and eat a sandwich.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Right? Yeah. Just sit sit in the hole with them. Just be there. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I kind of want to wrap up on getting y'all's opinion about when is it time to say, okay, I've been empathetic. I've created a safe environment. I've done all of these things. Maybe that employee isn't weeding themselves out. When is kind of the breaking point And how is that kind of affecting your other team members when that person is hanging around?
2: And so the data tells us, you know, a quote-unquote toxic employee has more of a negative, a deleterious effect on the team than two to three star employees. I mean, that's impactful because then if you have one one toxic employee that, you know, our star employees are… Again, we're in threat mode. We can't be as efficient. And then we're seeing this behavior and it's like, well, why, why am I working as hard as I am if, you know, all of this is going on or I feel threatened or I feel bullied or I or I'm harassed and that type of thing. I look at it, what's interesting is from a recovery, you know, alcohol and substance use recovery or that type of thing, is that as long as someone is trying, you know, I'm going I'm going to help, but there is a point where, you know, we may have to, you know, we we say, "Okay, we've and this is where the HR point comes in. Is we've got, you know, a corrective action plan, um, and we say, okay, here are the things that we need to ask, but we also need to try to empower them to do those. Is what is you know the, the it's it's almost like going into a room with a, a dog that's a nine plus out of nine body condition score, and you're like, your dog needs to lose weight, and then walk out. Is that <laughs> if I you know, I, yeah, how mm-hmm. you know how because we can't an employee that, and this is where i can tell you know from personal experience i can't get out of that with the same brain that i walked in with i've only i've only got the same tools that got me here in the first place so i need help you know changing and that's where there's a level of sorry i've just uh, i've talked about this a lot and it's like i probably go farther you know to the coaching but there there gets a point that where the team the team and leadership have to just say, "Okay, we've you know we've we've given the opportunity to coach up, and now the kind thing is is to is to separate, and that that may be different for each each practice. Uh, sorry, it's not a not a straight straightforward, you know, three strikes and you're out type thing. Although you can you can do that.
0: Yeah, none of these human skills are black and white,
1: but it can't be right. You know, you can if you haven't met. Um, skill benchmarks that you need to, that's a different conversation, right? This is, you can't have, well, you didn't tick this box and you didn't do this. This is, we've encouraged you to do this. We've had this conversation. We've provided these resources. We've exhausted everything that we can do. And there's been no effort on your part. So you clearly don't want to be here, you know, or we, we are not able to give you what you need. So it's it's not cut and dry. It's not black and white, and it it's not one through six, right? It's you've got have to come to that realization where you are tapped out um, in all of the the major realms that we work in.
2: Yeah, yeah. If there's a flat up, just denial, 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 and the you know the employee can't just can't see what how their behavior is impacting the team, you know, then it's it's. You know, it's fairly straightforward. But what, you know, like Alyssa and I were saying in the beginning, too, is that if we, you know, we can't just put it all on the employee. Is that, you know, we've created an environment that's allowed this to go on that that long. So, what I would challenge leadership to do is to say, you know, if you have this toxic employee is, what have I done as a leader to facilitate me sitting down with this mm-hmm. employee to have this discussion and say, and you know, you maybe you don't have to say it in front of that employee, but say, you know, I'm playing a part in this. As a leader, I've set up an environment that's, you know, that's allowed this to happen. So it's, you know, it's not putting it all on one person because we've got to look at that and and say, how can we all get better? And that's a psych- that's a psychologically safe environment, you know, is how do we grow? Yeah.
1: Well, and you know, what you said earlier, they avoid the blame game, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. You point and it's looking back at you, but then you can't always, it's not always on you or them. It's not an us versus them. It's a, how did we contribute? How can we alleviate? And same question for the employee, right? They need to own their role. And that's the tricky part is because there's a lot of the times they won't, right? Bill, you said it like, deny, deny, deny. Um, it can't be me. And where does that come from, right? It's, this is all intertwined, right? Oh, yeah. Everything that we've talked about up to right. this point is connected. So, but again, you, you reach that point of resources are exhausted um, and, and time and energy is not, <laughs> it's not infinite, right? We know that those are our, our biggest limiting resources right now. Emotions are high. So, Phil, you said it beautifully, like you got you got to own your own role in this, right? But be honest too. That's, you you have to honestly do that. And, right. And- and say, look, this is where it is in writing. And this is where having that, as much as it, it's not black and white, having that standardized approach to it, like this is how we approach things. This is our mental health uh, protocol. This is how we develop a human being beyond their clinical skills. If it's there and you follow it and it's, you have that integrative training approach to all of this it's like look we've we've intervened here we've provided this it's documented you've signed it we're at our last our last stage here
2: and i would say too is that's exactly it, is that that in doing that if we've set that civility protocol you know if you will or bullying protocol or what have you then it's there you know and then we have done that that work you know on the front end to to say if this comes up we can say look we you know as a team like when you know, when you were brought on we said that these things were not acceptable behaviors to you know to continue working here again be curious not judgmental mm-hmm. but we also psychologically safe does not mean being nice all the time <laughs> um, that is <laughs> no. not that is not what a psychologically safe environment is and that gets to be toxic positivity where then we, mm-hmm. we out of fear or what have you we don't feel like we can be honest with empathy but that is being honest with empathy is saying I'm sorry you know we've We've had these opportunities and, you know, it's just it's time for us to, you know, part ways.
1: Right. Cause yeah. niceness and kindness are not synonymous. Are not the, no, yeah. absolutely not.
0: And I want to focus in a little bit on what both of you are mentioning about having a civility policy or something to that effect. There are many things that have to be done from a legal standpoint, from an HR standpoint, to follow along with this process of coaching and having these honest conversations. So what resources do you guys recommend for someone who's maybe looking to create those kind of policies, looking for um, how to document this kind of behavior, and anything around uh, structuring and enforcing uh, these kinds of policies within their clinic.
1: Yeah, it's really. I think, Phil, you have a bigger list probably than I do. Um, but it's what I tend to do is, you know, my my wheelhouse is is training and growth and development. So when it comes to to leadership and HR, I reach out to like, someone like Josh Weissman that that has that experience, someone that is you know a CVPM, and looking into those resources. You know, Clinicians Brief has this. Today's Veterinary Practice has these things. Um, making sure that you're you're not. This isn't happening in a vacuum. Right. So it's not, you don't have to do this all on your own. So it's simply, you know, and, and think of our industry, right? It, it's no longer six degrees of separation. It's it's one, maybe half, like everybody knows somebody else. So if you reach out to a friend saying, mm-hmm. this is what I'm struggling with. Can you help me? And that's what I would do. I would call Phil and be like, I don't know where to go. Can you tell me? And if he doesn't, he's going to know someone who does. And if they don't, you know, and it it all comes back because it's, again, it's, it's not as, you've got to get out of that mindset of a competition. It's a collaborative approach. So I would, you know, reach out to anyone that you know of that has that lived experience and then find those, you know, data evidence-based directives to back that up.
2: Yeah. And some specific, uh, along with what what Alyssa was saying, there, there are a couple really specific sources. Um, I'm really grateful. I'm on the National Workplace Suicide Prevention and Postvention Committee, and yep. so you talk about imposter syndrome. Like I'm in this, you know, I'm in this meeting, <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, I'm like oh my God, like these these are like the national experts in you know in workplace mental health and such. They just put out a white paper. Um, for professionals and employment uh, that was for HR professionals and employment lawyers that answers a lot of the myths that uh, I'll see come up as questions like well if I talk about this you know it does does this mean I've stepped into ADA territory mm-hmm. you know the Americans with Disabilities Act or you know and it's in so what happens is is things we end up almost from a fear-based perspective kind of CYA versus Doing positive coaching, and I really love this paper because it's one. It's written by you know the experts in mental health and and HR employment and the employment lawyers in the in the U.S. But it's at if you if you go to the Workplace Suicide Prevention and Postvention Committee. If you Google that, you'll get the the white paper. Um, if it's okay, Mary, I'll give you a link to the PDF. Yeah,
0: we can put it in the show description for everyone to check out.
2: And then specifically on civility. Christine Porath, she is the one of the head researchers on civility in the workplace, and has a lot of great data. She also has a, a civility uh, self assessment uh, that you can do that gets you thinking about specific things that aren't overt. You know, like screaming at somebody in the workplace, or some you know something that we can clearly see. You know that that obviously that is yeah. is uncivil. You know, and bullying behavior, <laughs> um, but. Things like do do I withhold, you know, information for a little bit? You know, my little spicy in my uh, my communications with other people. Those are things that we see that have a, have a negative and deleterious effect on on workplace culture and performance. So Christine Porath, Doctor Christine Porath,
1: great. And as another one, of course, as you start talking, I start thinking <laughs> like, oh, there's other. Sorry, um, so. Thank you so much, because I didn't know about those resources. Um, and that's why I, I love these conversations. You learn something new every day. But if you're looking for, you know, mentorship support, you have MentorVet. And if you, you're you looking for education in the DEIB space, this is where Possibilities comes in. This is where Blend comes in, which is a, an accreditation program for educational purposes. The DVMC, Pride VMC, mm-hmm. the MCVMA, uh, all of these organizations that have resource pages to address, you know, difficult conversations surrounding diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Because we always make it about, you know, melanin or or lack thereof. But diversity and inclusion and equity and belonging, it focuses on, there's so much more to it than that, right? Like the knowledge bias and ageism Mm -hmm. and socioeconomic status. And there's everything that we need to take into consideration. So beyond taking that civility, which I need to researcher and get some information on. Take that into these other realms and how we can really incorporate that within the work that we do.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate both of you so much today. It was a great conversation. Um, I learned a lot and I know our listeners will learn a lot as well. How can our listeners follow you uh, to kind of track what you guys are up to and, and learn a little bit more about what we talked about today.
1: I will field all of the fan mail for Dr. <laughs> Philip Rutchmond. I am the president of the club uh <laughs> I think we're both on LinkedIn yeah um so if you want to uh, find us there um, I'm I'm on my uh, empowering veterinary teams is on Instagram as EmpVetTeam. vet um, I'm not on Twitter we're not on Twitter as much but we're, we're there so if if you Google empowering veterinary teams we'll come up and you can find
2: us great and I I stay mostly in the LinkedIn space I do uh have Caitlin Dr Caitlin DeWild, who's awesome uh, she, she does a lot of stuff for social media for me, which she's fantastic. But yeah, that and then uh, again, I, I, I'm driving up to Michigan Friday to start my new position with Veterinary United, and so you'll see us around. We'll be at all the major conferences, and then I'm very grateful that Alyssa and I get to speak at a lot of the a lot of the conferences and and share a message. So.
1: Right. If you're if you're going to be in New Jersey next week, I will see you there at ACVC.
0: <laughs> well, that is super exciting and I'm sure our listeners will keep an eye out for both of you as they move through the fall and spring conferences next year. Thanks again for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. I'd like to thank Alyssa and Dr. Richmond for being our guests on today's episode, as well as you, our listeners. We appreciate your support and hope you'll subscribe to our podcast, Simple Interrupted, on your favorite podcast app and share it with your fellow veterinary colleagues. This has been a co production of Evergreen Podcasts and Pet Desk. Learn more about Pet Desk and how we're helping clinics guide their clients to better care at petdesk.com. A special thanks to the Pet Desk team and to all of the veterinary professionals out there. Thank you for all that you do for our pets, as well as our Evergreen production team. Producers Leah Haslidge and Nigel Galladay, and audio engineer, Gray Siena Longfellow. I'm your host, Mary Schwartz. Thanks for listening.